Book Four, Heroines and Heroes of Plateau and Desert, Chapter Twenty Five of the Book of Missionary Heroes by Basil Matthews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dave Harrell. The Book of Missionary Heroes by Basil Matthews, Chapter Twenty Five. THE MOSES OF THE ASSYRIANS WILLIAM AMBROSE SHEDD, 1865-1918 A dark-haired American with black, penetrating eyes that looked you steadily in the face and sparkled with light when he laughed, sat on a chair in a hall in 1918 in the ancient city of Arumia, in the land of Assyria, where Persia and Turkey meet. His face was as brown with the sunshine of this eastern land as were the wrinkled faces of the turbaned Assyrian village men who stood before him, for he was born out here in Persia on Mount Seir. And he had lived here as a boy and a man, save for the time when his splendid American father had sent him to Marietta, Ohio, for some of his schooling, and to Princeton for his final training. His dark brown mustache and short beard covered a firm mouth and a strong chin. His vigorous expression and his strongly Roman nose added to the commanding effect of his presence. A haunting terror had driven these ragged village people into the city of Arumia to ask help of this wonderful American leader whom they almost worshipped because he was so strong and just and good. For the bloodthirsty Turks and the even more cruel and wilder Kurds of the mountains were marching on the land. The great war was raging across the world and even the hidden peoples of this distant mountain lands were swept into its terrible flames. For Urumia City lies to the west of the southern end of the extremely salt lake of the same name. It is about 150 miles west from the Caspian Sea, and the same distance north of the site of ancient Nineveh. It stands on a small plain, and in that tangle of lakes, mountains, and valley plains, where the ambitions of Russia, Persia, and Turkey have met, and where the Assyrians, that is, Christians of one of the most ancient churches in the world, which in the early centuries had a chain of missions from Constantinople right across Asia to Peking, the Kurds, that is, wild, fierce Moslems, the Persians, the Turks, and the Russians struggled together. In front of Dr. William Ambrose's shed there stood an old man from the villages. His long gray hair and beard and his wrinkled face were agitated as he told the American his story. The old man's dress was covered with patches, and eyewitness counted thirty-seven patches, all of different colors on one side of his cloak and loose baggy trousers. My field in my village I cannot plow, he said, for we have no ox. The Kurds have taken our possessions. You are our father. Grant us an ox to plow and draw for us. Dr. Shedd saw that the old man spoke truth. He scribbled a few words on a slip of paper, and the old man went out satisfied. So for hour after hour, men and women from all the country round came to this strange missionary, who had been asked by the American government to administer relief, yes, and to be the council representing America itself in that great territory. They came to him from the villages where, around the fire in the cons at night, Men still tell stories of him as one of the great hero leaders of their race. These are the kind of stories that they tell of the courage and the gentleness of this man, who, while he was a fine American scholar, 
yet knew the very heart of the eastern peoples in northwestern Persia as no American has ever done in all our history. One day, says one old village Assyrian greybeard, Dr. Shedd was sitting at meat in his house when his servant Mashadi ran into the room crying, The Kurds have been among our people. They have taken three girls, three Christian girls, and are carrying them off. They have just passed the gate. The Kurds were all bristling with daggers and pistols. Dr. Shedd simply picked up the cane that he holds in his hand while he walks. He hurried out to the house with Mashadi, ran up the hill to the Kurd village that lies there, entered, and said to the fierce Kurds, Give back those girls to us. And they, as they looked into his face, could not resist him, though they were armed, and he was not. So they gave the Assyrian girls back to him, and he led them down the hill to their homes. So he also stood single-handed between Turks and five hundred Assyrians who had taken refuge in the missionary compound, and stopped the Turks from massacring the Christians. But even as he worked in this way, the tide of the great war flowed towards Urumia. The people there were mostly Assyrians, with some Armenians. They were Christians. They looked southward across the mountains to the British army there in Mesopotamia for aid. But as the Assyrians looked up from Urumia to the north, they could already see the first Turks coming down upon the city. Thousands upon thousands of the Assyrians from the country villages crowded into the city and into the American missionary compound, till actually even in the mission schoolrooms they were sleeping three deep, one lot on the floor, another lot on the seats of the desks, and a third on the top of the desks themselves. Hold on, resist, the help of the British will come, said Dr. Shedd to the people. Aga Petros, with a thousand of our men, has gone to meet the British, and he will come back with them, and will throw back the Turks. The Turks and the Kurds came on from the north, Many of the Armenian and Assyrian men were out across the plains to the east, getting in the harvest, and no sign of succor came from the south. Though the fierce hot days of July, the people held on, because Dr. Shedd said that they must. But at last, on the afternoon of July 30th, there came over all the people a strange, irresistible panic. They gathered all their goods together and piled them in wagons, food, clothes, saucepans, jewelry, gold, silver, babies, old women, mothers. All were huddled and jumbled together. The wagons creaked. The oxen lurched down the roads to the south. The little children cried with hunger and fright. The boys trudged along rather excited at the adventure, yet rather scared at the awful hullabaloo and the strange feeling of horror of the cruel Kurdish horsemen and of the crafty Turk. Dr. Shedd made one last vain effort to persuade the people to hold on to their city but it was impossible. They had gone, as it seemed, mad with fright. He and his wife went to bed that night, but not to sleep. At two o'clock the telephone bell rang. The Turks and Kurds are advancing. All the people are leaving, came the message. It is impossible to hold on any longer, said Dr. Shedd to his wife. I will go and tell all in the compound. You get things ready. Mrs. Shedd got up and began to collect what was needed. She packed up food, bread, tea, sugar, nuts, raisins, and so on, a frying pan, a kettle, a saucepan, water jars, saddles, extra horseshoes, ropes, lanterns, a spade, and bedding. By 7.30 the baggage wagon and two Red Cross carts were ready. 
Dr. Shedd and Mrs. Shedd got up into the wagon. The driver cried to his horses, and they started. As they went out of the city on the south, the Turks and Kurds came raging in on the north. Within two hours, the Turks and Kurds were crashing into houses and burning them to the ground. But most of the people had gone, for Dr. Shedd was practically the last to leave Urumia. Ahead of them were the Armenians and Syrians in flight. They came to a little bridge, a mass of sticks with mud thrown over them. Here, and at every bridge, pandemonium reigned. This is how Mrs. Shedd describes the scene. The jam at every bridge was indescribable confusion. Every kind of vehicle that you could imagine, ox carts, buffalo wagons, Red Cross carts, troikas, forgans, like prairie schooners, hay wagons, Russian phaetons, and many others invented and fitted up for the occasion. The animals, donkeys, horses, buffaloes, oxen, cows with their calves, mules, and herds of thousands of sheep and goats. All through the day they moved on. At the end of the procession, Dr. Shedd, planning out how he could best get his people safely away from the Turks, who he knew would soon come pursuing them down the plain to the mountains. Night fell, and they were in a long line of wagons close to a narrow bridge built by the Russians across the Barandus River. They had come some eighteen miles from Arumia. So they lay down in the wagons to try to sleep, but they could not, and at two o'clock in the night they moved on, crossed the river, and drove on for hour after hour toward the mountains that rose in a wall before them. The poor horses were not strong, so the wagon had to be lightened. Assyrian boys took loads on their heads and trudged up the rocky mountain road while the wagon jolted and groaned as it bumped its way along. The trail of the mountain pass was littered with samovars, that is, tea-urns, copper kettles, carpets, bedding, and here and there the body of someone who had died on the way. At the very top of the pass lay a baby thrown aside there and just drawing its last breath. So for two days they jolted on hardly getting an hour's sleep. At last, at midday on the third day, they left Hadarabad at the south end of Lake Rumia. Two hours later the sound of booming guns was heard. A horseman galloped up. The Turks are in Haradabad, he said. They are attacking the rear of the procession. It seemed, said Mrs. Shedd, as if at any moment we should hear the screams of those behind as the enemy fell upon them. The wagons hurried on to the next town, called Memutar, and there Dr. Shedd waited, lightening his own wagons by throwing away everything that they could spare. Oil, potatoes, charcoal, every box except his Bible and a small volume of Browning's poems. Then they started again, along a road that was littered with the discarded goods of the people. Then they saw on the roadside a little baby girl that had been left by her parents. She was not a year old, and sat there all alone in a desolate spot. Left to die, Dr. Shedd looked at his wife, and she at him. He pulled up the horse and jumped down, picked up the baby, and put her in the wagon. They went along till they came to a large village. Here they found a Kurdish mother. "'Take care of this little girl till we come back,' said Dr. Shedd, "'and here is some money for looking after her.' We will give you more when we come back, if she is well looked after. Part 3 
suddenly cannon were fired from the mountains and the people in panic threw away their goods and hurried in a frenzy of fear down the mountain passes they passed on to the plain and then as they were in a village guns began to be fired three hundred turks and persians were attacking under majid sultana of arumia dr shed riding his horse gathered together some armenian and assyrian men with guns and stayed with them to help hold back the enemy while the women drove on he was a good target sitting up there on his horse but without thinking of his own danger he kept his men at it for he felt like a shepherd with a great flock of fleeing sheep whom it was his duty to protect panic seized the people strong men left their old mothers to die mothers dropped their babies and ran one of my schoolgirls mrs shedd says afterward told me how she had left her baby on the bank and waited with an older child through the river when the enemy were coming after them she couldn't carry both the memory of her deserted baby is always with her the line of the refugees stretched for miles along the road the enemy fired from behind boulders on the mountainsides the armenians and syrians fired back from the road or ran up the mountains to chase them it was hopeless to think of driving the enemy off but dr shedd's object was to hold them off till help came so he went up and down on his horse encouraging the men while the bullets whizzed over the wagons i feared said mrs shedd that the enemy might get the better of us and we should have to leave the carts and run for our lives while they were plundering the wagons and the loads we would get away i looked about me to see what we might carry there was little may six years old the daughter of one of their syrian teachers who had unconcernedly curled herself up on the seat for a nap i wrapped a little bread in a cloth put my glasses in my pocket and took the bag of money so that i should be ready on a moment's notice for dr shedd if they should swoop down upon us all day long the firing went on from the mountainside as the tired horses pulled along the rough trail the sun began to sink toward the horizon what would happen in the darkness then they saw ahead of them coming from the south a group of men in khaki they were nine british tommies with three lewis guns under captain savage they had come ahead from the main body that had moved up from baghdad in order to defend the rear of the great procession the little company of soldiers passed on and the procession moved forward that tiny company of nine british tommies ten miles farther on was attacked by hundreds of turks all day they held the road like horatius on the bridge till at night the cavalry came up and drove off the enemy and at last the sheds reached the british camp why are you right at the tail end of the retreat asked one of the syrian young men who had hurried forward into safety i would much rather be there said dr shedd with some scorn in his voice than like you leave the unarmed the sick the weak the women and the children to the mercy of the enemy he was rejoiced that the british had come there was said mrs shedd a ring in his voice a light in his eyes a buoyancy in his step that i had not seen for months he had shepherded his thousands and thousands of boys and girls and men and women through the mountains into the protection of the british squadron of troops part four later that day dr shedd began to feel the frightful heat of the august day so exhausting that he had to lie down in the cart which had a canvas cover open at both ends and was therefore much cooler than a tent 
he got more and more feverish. So Mrs. Shedd got the Assyrian boys to take out the baggage, and she made up a bed for him on the floor of the cart. The English doctor was out with the cavalry, who were holding back and dispersing the Turkish force. Then a British officer came and said, We are moving the camp forward under the protection of the mountains. It was late afternoon. The cart moved forward into the gathering darkness. Mrs. Shedd crouched beside her husband on the floor of the cart, attending to him, expecting the outriders to tell her when they came to the British camp. For hours the cart rolled and jolted over the rough mountain roads. At last it stopped. It was so dark they could not see the road. They were in a gully and could not go forward. "'Where is the British camp?' asked Mrs. Shedd. "'We passed it miles back on the road,' was the reply." It was a terrible blow. The doctor, the medicines, the comfort, the nursing that would have helped Dr. Shedd were all miles away, and he was so ill that it was impossible to drive him back over that rough mountain track in the inky darkness of the night. There was nothing to do but just stay where they were, send a messenger to the camp for the doctor, and wait for the morning. Only a few drops of oil were left in the lantern, Mrs. Shedd tells us, but I lighted it and looked after Mr. Shedd. I could see that he was very sick indeed, and asked two of the men to go back for the doctor. It was midnight before the doctor reached us. The men, Mrs. Shedd continues, set fire to a deserted cart left by the refugees, and this furnished fire and light all night. They arranged for guards in turn, and lay down to rest on the roadside. Hour after hour I crouched in the cart beside my husband, massaging his limbs when cramps attacked him, giving him water frequently, for while he was very cold to the touch, he seemed feverish. We heated the hot water bottle for his feet, and made coffee for him at the blaze. We had no other nourishment. He got weaker and weaker, and a terrible fear tugged at my heart. Fifty thousand hunted, terror-stricken refugees had passed on. The desolate rocky mountains loomed above us. Darkness was all about us, and heaven seemed too far away for prayer to reach. A deserted baby wailed all night not far away. When the doctor came, he gave two hypodermic injections and returned to the camp, saying that we should wait there for him to catch up to us in the morning. After the injections, Mr. Shedd rested better, but he did not again regain consciousness. When the light began to reveal things, I could see the awful change in his face, but I could not believe that he was leaving me. Shortly after light, the men told me that we could not wait as they heard fighting behind, and it was evident the English were attacked. So in his dying hour, we had to take him over the rough stony road. After an hour or two, Captain Reed and the doctor caught up to us. We drew the cart to the side of the road, where soon he drew a few short, sharp breaths, and I was alone. So the British officers, with a little hoe, on the mountainside dug the grave of this brave American shepherd, who had given his life in defending the Assyrian flock from the Turkish wolf. They made the grave just above the road beside a rock, and on it they sprinkled dead grass, so that it might not be seen and polluted by the enemy. The people Dr. Shedd loved were safe. The enemy, whose bullets he had braved for day after day, was defeated by the British soldiers. But the great American leader, whose tired body had not slept, 
while the Assyrians and Armenians were being hunted through the mountains, lies there, drinkless, on the mountainside. These are words that broke from the lips of Assyrian sheiks when they heard of his death. He bore the burdens of the whole nation upon his shoulders to the last breath of his life. As long as we obeyed his advice and followed his lead we were safe and prosperous, but when we ceased to do that, destruction came upon us. He was, and ever will be, the Moses of the Assyrian people. He lies there where his heart always was, in that land in which the Turk, the Assyrian, the Armenian, the Persian, the Russian, and the Arab meet. He is there waiting for the others who will go out and take up the work that he has left, the work of carrying to all those eastern peoples the love of the Christ whom Dr. Shedd died in serving. End of chapter 25